0: Let's turn our Bibles to Titus chapter 2 as we look into God's word and turn our eyes to our great Savior as he has revealed to us in his word today. Father, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts, use the teaching of your word to change our behavior not because we have heard it and realize we must do it, but help us to see Jesus, to see what he has done for us, that he has set us free, that he has given us liberty to live in a way that brings him glory and says no to this world. Help our behavior to show you. Use this passage. Use last week's message. And as we continue to look at this passage today, use it to change us to be more like Jesus. We do ask these things because in his name there is power. Amen. In 2015, there was a home surveillance system that picked up something odd happening across the way, across the road, and it caught a young girl slipping out of the window, falling down at the street, and then running away. And not long after that, there was a 911 call that brought the police to speak with her, and as it turns out, there were 13 children living in that house. And some of them, at that moment, as she had escaped out of the house, were chained to the bed. They were malnourished. They were—they uh, didn't know how to speak. Their, their vocabulary was messed up. And as the girl was talking to the policeman, uh, she was using very strange words. And he would ask her, "You know, are you on medication?" And she was like, "What's medication?" Because she had lived her life in that house, and she was 17 years old. Now, I tell you that story. It's a very interesting story. But my focus in telling you that story was not actually what was happening in that house. It is to point out what happened in the program that I was watching where I saw this take place. It was a 2020 expose uh, called The House of Horrors. And they were talking about that particular house. And Diane Sawyer uh, was telling this story and doing the research and telling what was happening there. And as she went back to talk about this family, primarily the mother and father, she she said these words, steeped in the Pentecostal religion with its rules of no alcohol and no sex before marriage. And I was like, well, uh, I kind of don't think you should have too much alcohol and be drunk. And I don't think that you should have sex before marriage. It sounds kind of like she's talking about me. Then later in the story, they pointed out that one of the reasons why this family, this mother and father said that they could do what they were doing was from the book of Deuteronomy. And I cringed. My heart just shrunk as I heard Diane Sawyer saying these words because what were people, unsafe people, saying as they were watching this program? Yep, that's exactly what I expected. Those tight religious people, this is what happens. They end up having a house of horrors and abuse their children. And it's all because of that religion that they're following. Now that seems pretty unfair because it is unfair. And it is a little bit of an extreme. But how do people view us when we live our lives? Can you be trusted to hear a thing without it being spread through all the community? When someone thinks of you and they have something sensitive to share, do they hesitate? I know if I tell him, then everybody's going to know about it within a week. Do you draw attention to how much you can put away at the buffet table? Man, she can really put it away. Do your children see you with YouTube more than they see you with the Bible? Are you a hard person to work with at the office? Well, I'm just serious, and I want to get the work done, and these people, you know, they're... Is purchasing all the latest gadgets keeping you from having money to meet the needs of others? When people see you Do they see a tightwad? Do they see someone who is so absorbed with getting for themselves that they can't have anything to share with others? Now, these things are not chaining our children to the bunk bed. But do they give the proper view in our behavior of what the word teaches us. That's what Titus is all about. This is a letter to the man, Titus. And he's basically, Paul is telling Titus, here are the people that I want you to put, this is the kind of people I want you to put into these churches. So when they teach, there will be a particular behavior That will happen from that teaching. And then he explains, this is what that teaching should lead to. These are the types of behavior that we should see from this teaching. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see that the teaching of our church should lead us to live lives in whatever time or condition we find ourselves that God has placed us in so that the truth of who he is and what he has done will be praised, revered, and honored. Pastor Jim started this last week, and I'm going to bring up um, a slide that shows his outline from last week. I'm not going to re-preach them, uh, but I'm just going to point to what we see here, is you have different... uh, genders you have different age groups this is how the word is supposed to be affecting them if we go back to chapter one we see there's another group that he he shows what they are supposed to be and as i think of that the word is affecting those people as well those elders the word of God should be affecting them so that they are growing in the qualifications that he lists there in chapter 1. There's another group of people he mentions in chapter 1, and they are the bad example. They are the false teachers. They are the ones who are taking the word and misusing it, misapplying it, trying to lead people so that they can have their own advantage. They're a negative example of how the church is to be following the word and to be following the teaching. But teaching should lead to behavioral change. We don't learn just to learn. We learn to change. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 6, at continuing this outline that we have that Pastor Jim started for us last week. Let's get a running start beginning in verse 1 and read down through verse 6. But as for you, and I would insert there for our understanding, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in love, I mean, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, And submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Titus, urge the younger men to be controlled. You show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, Titus, show integrity, dignity, and the sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. This is a letter to Titus, and it is about how he is to teach. And I'll keep coming back to make that point. Because how he teaches, how Stephen teaches, how Jim teaches, how I teach from this pulpit has an important part to play If we are not teaching correctly, if we are not teaching as Paul was instructing Titus to teach, then you are not going to properly know how to behave. Now, I will go on a rabbit trail there and say it's not all on us. (laughs) I think one of the main things that pastors should be teaching to their congregation is how to study. Uh, They should be bringing the word in such a way that you're like, oh, hey, yeah, I see that. I can do this. So you are learning and growing from the teaching and how to learn. And then what is Paul telling Titus? And then we want men to come from that who have caught that bug. And they want to teach They want to do those same things in the church. That those men would come up and more teachers would be teaching according to the word. So it isn't the pastor's job to stand up and tell you what to think. It is the pastor's job to show how to think. And at that moment, as we open the word, how to think about The word. So I want to encourage you to search the scriptures for yourself. How do you know if your pastor is in error if you don't know the word yourself? So know it, but when the word is presented, because God has chosen teaching as the way for his word to go forward, as the word is being taught. Ask yourself, how should what is being said at this moment supposed to change my behavior? So, Titus comes to the younger men. And it looks like the younger men get off pretty easy because what does it say there? It says, <clears throat> likewise, Titus, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's the only instruction... That the young men receive. And so you're like. Well boy they've got it made. All they have to be is self-controlled. But look at the next phrase. Because then Paul says to Titus. When he's speaking to them. To him about teaching. He is telling them. That he should be an example. He should model for them. And what is in everything. In everything, he is to be a model to the younger men. So the younger men are to be following Titus as Titus is showing self-control in everything. And not only that, but the young men are supposed to be growing into older men. You don't want to stay a young man. So, what the young men are being called to is to be self controlled in growing in the Word, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. If you go to Galatians chapter 5 and you see the list of the fruit of the Spirit, what is the last one? It's self control. You must be controlled, you must be guided by the Word, by the Holy Spirit if you are to grow in those fruit of the Spirit. So, Titus is to be example. The teachers are to be an example. And as they are an example, they are to be example of self-control. They are to be examples of fruit of the Spirit. And the young men are to follow in that example, to be self-controlled in that example. So the young men actually don't get off. They are supposed to grow. They are to be self-controlled. They are supposed to not stay young in their thoughts. Boys should not be boys. Boys should be men. And that's for your age. That's for your spiritual life. It's interesting that Titus, we don't know exactly how old he was. He may have been a young man. Looking at the history of how he delivered letters for Paul, how he traveled with Paul, um, I start to think he wasn't really that young. But Paul calls him his child in the faith. Titus learned from the word and was growing in the word. And as he grew, Paul says, yes, I trust you in this island of Crete, and I put you in charge there to carry this out and to do these things. So Titus showed that he grew in his spiritual life from a young child, spiritually, into a leader, spiritually. Young men should be seeking to grow to be leaders, spiritually, be a young man in your age. Be an old man in your spiritual life. You can be an example. What did Paul tell Timothy? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Grow in truth. Young men can be leaders. Young men should seek to be leaders. That is what the word should be doing in your life today, young man. It should be growing you into, I know it sounds terrible, an old man. But old men can have fun too. But they're mature. They are sober-minded. They see the truth of the word and they are able through experience to apply it. That's what you are called to, young man. Younger men should aim to live as older men, according to that list that was given to the older men, and younger men should follow right examples. And older men, teachers, you are to be that right example. You are to be a model of that example. You could say that the next point in our outline, which it actually isn't, because I thought of this after I gave the slides. You could say that the next point in our outline is, sound doctrine produces godly living among teachers. Because we continue in this verse, following um, chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself Titus in all respects to be a model of good works. That's where he's showing that example to the young men. But then it says, and in your teaching, Titus, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So once again, Paul turns his attention to the teaching of Titus. And this isn't the first time he says this. He He tells him there in verse 1 of chapter 2, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He tells him, he urges him to teach the young men. So what is he telling us teachers to do? And if you want to be a teacher, here's a master class from Paul about how to be a good teacher of God's word. First, realize the urgency of the message you are to teach. He says to Titus, urge them. This is not stand up and show the facts about the word. This is urge them. When you are in the pulpit, preach the word. When you are among the sheep, live the word. Don't just speak it from the podium. Speak it at the coffee shop. Bring the young men alongside you. Urge. It's something that is urgent to you. This truth must be given. It must be understood. It must be lived. Be urgent. Urge. So realize the urgency of the message you teach and then let what you teach change you first. What good does it do for a teacher to stand up and teach if he's not living it? Now as I said those words, my heart went kaboosh. <laughs> because I think that's one of the things that is the, the most that teachers fight is, Lord, I know this is what your word says, but Satan leading up in that week, he is just picking you apart. And he's saying, well, yeah, well, look what you just did. And you're preaching on Sunday? It's a battle. The word is true no matter how I live But the teacher has a responsibility to live in that truth. We are not to have our souls of horror. We are not to have things happening in our lives that stand in the way of the message going forward. People should be able to look at the teacher and say, yeah, I know that person is not perfect, but they are trying. I can see the word at work in that person's life. Yeah, he failed last week. He got upset with me, said some words to me he should not have said. But then he came and he apologized to me. God's at work in his life. I see that. So if you want to be a teacher, you've, you've got to humbly let the word work in your life. So realize the urgency of the message you teach. Let what you teach change you first. And then teach what the Bible says. Now as you read some translations, the wording that, the way they do the grammar here is they kind of stretch this from being an example into this also being an example. So be an example of showing integrity. Uh, showing dignity, showing sound speech. But I can't get away from this fact that he tells Titus, this is how you are to teach. In your teaching, show integrity. In your teaching, show dignity. In your teaching, show sound speech. This is describing what the teaching is supposed to be now the other way of looking at it is also valid in the fact that that kind of teaching must come from a character that shows integrity and dignity and sound speech it is how the teacher is to live but it also defines how his teaching is to be done And so, when we look at integrity, and you think of integrity, what does that mean? Integrity is what you see, is what you get. What the Bible says is what it says. It doesn't say what I want it to say, it doesn't say what it says in isolation from what it says as a whole. That's how we ended up with the house of horrors I mentioned earlier. By taking one passage out of scripture, out of context, you can do all kinds of things. You can uh, support all kinds of error. We are to be show integrity in how we handle the text, how the word is being handled. It needs to be true. It needs to show what it is saying. And then it is to take responsibility to teach the word seriously. What does that mean? Does that mean you can never tell a joke? I think there are probably some great preachers in the past that would say, yes, that's what it means. I don't know. But dignity, when we think of dignity we look at something that is placed up as above. It's something that changes how you approach it because of how it makes you feel, if I can put it that way. When you come into the throne room of a king, you have all the trappings. You have the position of the king. In a place above. There are people all looking toward the king. Treating that king in a particular way. When you come walking in. What's up king? You look very much out of place. And people would say you are not showing dignity. We hear that about presidents. Well that was beneath the dignity of the office. Showing dignity as we present the word, is realizing the importance of it. Not treating it cheaply. Saying this is of great value. And therefore, it shapes how I present it. There is dignity in the word. There is a separateness in the revelation of God. The teacher needs to rep- recognize that and represent it in the teaching. And then if you want to be a teacher, always seek to sharpen your teaching craft. Sound speech. Uh, this was kind of the golden time for speech. You have Aristotle and all those men... Uh, Actually, holding classes about how to speak. And much of your freshman speech class comes from those principles that were started there in uh, BC in the first century. How to speak well, how to present the argument, how to take the truth and put it before people in a way that it is understood. That it is clear. That it shows the passion for why it should be believed. That is the sound speech. It's the teaching that makes the congregation leave the classroom, the auditorium, saying, I understand. That makes sense to me. I see how that is consistent With the word, I need to change my behavior because of it. Always seek to sharpen your teaching craft. And that's how you study. It's how you talk, how you present. Looking to grow in presenting God's word. And then I'll throw in one that encapsulates all of this from verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Teach with the authority of the author. It's not your words. It's God's words. And that goes back to the dignity. That goes back to the integrity That goes back to the importance of sound speech. It's because it's God's word. And you are speaking with that authority. But that authority is not simply in the way that the word is being spoken. The word has authority. And so we come back to our outline... As we continue with verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. That they are to be well pleasing. Not argumentative. Not pilfering. But showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our savior. This authority. Because it is the word of God should be changing our behavior. It should be changing the behavior of the elders. It should be changing the behaviors of even the false teachers. It should be changing the behavior of the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, the teacher. And then we see this, the bond servant. Why the bondservant? Why, why not uh, the boss? Why not the politician? Why the bondservant? Well, the bondservant of all the people we have listed, and of course, bondservants can be young men, young women, older men, younger women, uh, older women. The bondservant can be all of these things, but in society... This bondservant is the one person who has the least amount of ability to set their own course. They are slaves. Now, it's important for us to understand in this case, in this context, in that cultural context, we are not talking about the slaves of 19th century America. That's abhorrent. In this day it's almost as though you could say they were contract laborers. And that happens a lot. When a business needs some help, but they don't want to have the overhead of employing someone, they will go and find a contract worker that will come in, work for a period of time on that project, get paid for it, and then move on. That is similar to what would happen often in this culture of that day. People would come. They could be professionals. They could have a skill that the person who was owning them didn't have. And they would come and say, okay, I will work for you for seven years. And at the end of seven years, you get everything that I work toward. You provide me housing life, at the end of seven years, you will give me a portion of what I have earned for you, and then I go free. That was very common during that day. Now, yes, there were also people who were in debt and they were held in servitude until their debt was paid off. And there were some who were taken perhaps from another country in a conquest, and they were slaves. They were never to go free. But there was a variation in servitude amongst these people. So that's why do you say that, Jonathan. Because while he was writing to bond servants, and to my knowledge, none of us in here are bond servants, It can very well be applied to us today because I would dare say there are probably people in here who are contract workers. You are paid according to a contract. There are people here who are under the employment of another person. This can be applied to you specifically. But I think there's also a broader application here. And that is, it doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your position in life is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Your behavior is supposed to be guided by sound doctrine. No one gets off of living that life. Even a slave is to live this way. But how can we take specifically what was given to the slaves and apply it? Okay, Jonathan, you're telling me here's what the word of God says. Then how am I supposed to behave in the workplace? Well, I think he tells us here, if I can put it in the vernacular of our day. First of all, be the right team player. Advance the mission Of the business where you work. Most businesses have a goal. If you want to take this passage and apply it in your life, work to achieve that goal. Be submissive to what your business is trying to accomplish. Seek to improve the environment, be well pleasing not argumentative. There's something in South Carolina, it's called Best Places to Work in South Carolina. And uh, I was attending one of those events, and I was part of the company that was there being uh, recognized. And we're like, oh, you know, we're probably going to end up 25th or something like that. And people would stand up and they would explain what this company had provided. Oh, they go to Hawaii. They go on trips. They have pool tables. And it seems like every single one of them had, you know, beer after five. Uh, All these perks. And we were like, we don't have those perks. We don't. Did they skip us? (laughs) How did this happen? And then the first year, we were third place. The second year, we were second place. We're like, ah, next year it's first. Next year came, we were second. But here's the point I want to make to you. Why did that company end up in second place? With no perks. So you ask the employees, why? Because I loved working with the people that I was working with, and I love doing what I do. That's what made that company great. Unsaved people can do that. What about you? Are you changing the culture of your business where you work? Are you changing? Let me rephrase that. Are you changing the culture of where you work for good? Would people say, yes, I love working at... Because I work with. I love what I do. Because I love accomplishing it. With the team. And then show yourself. To be honest and trustworthy. Not pilfering. But showing all good faith. I want to give an example. Of a member of the church. That I was talking to last week. As we were discussing this. And I. I want to use this illustration to bring us toward the conclusion. When he was saying, say, you know, I did that. I was a contract worker, and I was taking parts out of the parts bin, and I was taking it home. And he said, Then I got saved. And I went back, no longer a contract worker with this guy. And I said, Look, this is what I did. It was wrong. I want to make up for it. I want you to forgive me. And what did the business owner say? He said, you want a job? Because the business owner saw something in this church member that was different. This church member could have just walked away. That business owner didn't know there were electronic parts missing from the bin. this member could have just gone on his merry way, could have assuaged his conscience and let time wash away the guilt. But no, he let the word work in his heart and he went back and he made restitution and the owner recognized something different about that church member. That is what Titus chapter 2 is all about. The word changing your behavior, not just so that your behavior will change, so that others will see the power of the gospel. That others will see your behavior. The word of God would not be reviled, it says. The so-thats that Pastor Jim pointed out last week. The word of God would not be reviled or discredited. People don't look and say on the documentary about your life, well, you know, what did you expect? He was one of those religious people who believes those strange doctrines of the Bible. The word of God should not be discredited. But to say it in a positive sense. The word of God should be praised. People should see what the word of God is doing in your life. The word of God would not be evil spoken of. That it would not be criticized. Or to say it positively. That it would be revered. Wow. I knew that person before, and I know them now, what happened to that person? You know, and that doesn't have to be said just of unsaved people. Christian, there is hope for you. There is grace for you. If you are failing to live up to the behavior that he is calling for Titus to teach, There is hope for you, for people to say, wow, what happened? Something has changed. Because the gospel that saves you is the gospel that keeps you. It's the gospel that is continuing to change you. It never ceases. There is more opportunity to show the power of the word so that people will revere the change it can make in your life. And the word of God, why do we do this? Why do we behave this way? So that the word of God would be adorned or honored. That it would be set up and say, the self-help book couldn't do it. The 12-step plan couldn't do it. But the word, God's word, has changed this person's life. The power I honor it the word should always receive credit for our behavior don't behave as a good employee so that your company can win best places to work in South Carolina change your behavior at work so that when people see you they see Christ, that Christ is praised because of your behavior, that Christ is revered because of your behavior, and because of your behavior, Christ is honored, is lifted up, is given credit for your life. The teaching of our church should lead us to live lives in whatever stage of life, whatever time of life we are in, or condition that God has placed us in, so that the truth of who he is and what he does and has done will be praised, revered, And honored. Father, we come before you humbly realizing that there is nothing in ourselves that can make this change. Your word is not a textbook. We don't read your word, see what it says, and then do it. We read your word. We see who says it. And then we passionately seek to be like the one who spoke the word. And when we seek you in that way, your Holy Spirit uses your word in a powerful way to change us to be like the author. Oh, give Subaru Baptist Church that desire to be like the author of the word. How that would change how we see the words that are spoken. How it would change how we speak those words to one another. We ask for this. In the name of Jesus who is to be praised, revered, and honored. Amen.